0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library. On this podcast, I'm inviting you into my personal library to experience my favorite erotica. All of the volumes that I will read from are on my shelves. Each week, I will treat you to a piece of erotica, either my own or from one of my favorite authors. Some weeks, I will be joined by these amazing authors themselves, and you will have the chance to hear them read their own work. This podcast is being supported by my Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Lori Beth Bisbee. For people who subscribe, you will have access to special interviews with authors and readings and also to special events. So grab your drink of choice, get comfortable, and enjoy a peek into my
1: erotic world.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Library of Erotica. And I am here with Elizabeth Schechter. Um, That reading was absolutely wonderful. And so when did you start writing Erotica? Uh,
1: I started writing, started writing it or started publishing it? Writing it. Writing it. Uh, I started writing it Early two thousands, mm-hmm. um, I was involved. I was heavily involved in a Jacqueline Carey role playing game. It was a, it was a, a play by email role playing game based in her Cushiel universe. Wow, that sounds like fun. And it was a lot of fun, and it was officially sanctioned. So I actually have met Jacqueline, and I have told her that my career is all her fault. Um, because we were writing. I think our our game was set, like, a couple of hundred years prior to the Kashiel books, but we were writing at that same level of heat, so there was explicit sex, and there was, you know, kinky sex, and it was all the, all the stuff you would find in the Kashiel verse, we were writing it, uh. and I did that for about five years, and then in two, let me think, 2008, 2009, something like that, um, a friend of mine sent a, uh, sent me an email, said, you know, Circle It has an open call for tarot-based erotica, and I was like, hey, that sounds like fun, and I've got the handle on writing sex now, so I had some, so I'm like, okay, and that, that story is called The Hand You're Dealt, and it's by, it was my first professional erotic romance sale. Uh, and it appears in Like a Sacred Desire. Yep, I remember reading it. Yes, and that one was fun because it was a BDSM scene tri- driven entirely by our tarot reading. Yep. Uh, that story grew up to be its own novel, uh, which is called Heart's Master. Heart's Master came out in two- 2016, I want to say, yes, 2016. Uh, But then I sold, I I sold them that story and then I sold them The Succubus, which grew up to be House of Sable Locks, and after the fourth or fifth story I sent to them, uh, Cecilia said, do you have anything longer? And I actually did. I had a novel that had just been kicked back by Carina Press. So I sent it in and they bought it. And that was Princess of Air. And that was my first novel sale.
0: So it's funny because I, I, I followed circlet from the beginning and I've been reading, well, I've been reading erotica since I was 12 and writing erotica since I was 12. Although bad erotica when I was 12. <laughs>
1: <Just> <laughs> well, because... we all start somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it was bad because I didn't understand how the body worked. So, you know, mm-hmm. because it was just whatever had gotten me hot. You know, I, I wrote about, but it, it yeah, it was pretty bad, um, but um, but I followed Circlet from their inception and the draw for me was the fact that we had the combination of erotica, which I loved, with, oh my god, science fiction and fantasy, which I also loved. So yes. it was like, wow, all these really niche things that I'm really into and there's all these people writing about these different permutations with really hot sex scenes. And also, um, to be fair, that a lot of the sex is what I would call... Um, as, as a therapist, I work with the um, gender, sex, and relationship diverse community, which means mm-hmm. BQ, uh, consensual non-monogamy, and kinky. Um, yes. And BDSM. So a lot of the erotica that was being put out by Circlet fit into all these categories. And it had science fiction and fantasy when <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> So I do, I, you know, I, I loved it as they would come out with these collections around a theme and you'd get to see a whole bunch of different writers and how they treated the theme. And then if you liked something, you could go back and if somebody put out a longer work, pick up the longer work. So that mm-hmm. was, that's was really cool. Um, and I, I hope that Riverdale is going to, is going to help have some new stuff come out.
1: So uh, well, well, I just, I actually I just sold a story to Riverdale for their, um, under, uh, it's, I think the title of the anthology is Under the Cape. It's okay. Sexy Superheroes. Oh, fun. And, and, um, the story that I sold is not explicit, uh, but it was a lot of fun to write. It's called, uh, Time for No Mercy. And the hero is actually the, the villain. She is, uh, she refers to herself as a recreational anarchist. And the superhero is, he's a corporate shill, basically, and he's out to stop her because the corporations that pay him to be a hero can't make any money on her work. Oh, no. <sighs> oh this should be fun. Well, I'm, I'm hoping
0: they'll continue to publish explicit stuff as well, because um, that, I mean, they were definitely, there are other places and there are other publishers, but they have a so- I have a soft spot for them.
1: Oh, yeah. Always- I mean, I have one, two, three. I think four novels in the circlet slush right now that hopefully uh, they'll pick up, that Riverdale will pick up for the circlet imprint. Uh, so we'll see where that, we'll see where that goes. But, yeah. the, I always but yeah, everything was on hold because of the, uh, because of the acquisition. Yep. So they've been in, they've been in, three of them have been in slush for a while. Yeah. But I, one I, of them is a sequel to Princes of Air and one of them is a sequel to House of Sable Locks great. And um, the, the, okay, so it's three in slush, and one of them was acquired, but we, um, one of them is, is a fantasy, it's a high fantasy novella, and then there's the newest one, which is BDSM Vampires.
0: Okay, well, sounds like I'm gonna have some more reading to do. <laughs> some of my favorite topics. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I just really, just, I have a soft spot for them. So, um, clearly you would love doing this.
1: Oh, it's (laughs) so so much fun.
0: Um, do you think there are any areas that need more representation? What would
1: you like (sighs) to see? Um, I'd like to see more ace representation, um, in fiction in general. Um, I mean, I've written a little bit of ace representation. Uh, the first time was uh, unintentional, and my notes, the character was uh, a young gay man, and then halfway through the novel, he's like, no, I'm just not interested in it at all. But it was also an erotic romance. So I had an asexual character in an erotic romance, and how he, he's very much in love with his partner he will have sex with his partner if his partner wants it, because he knows he, it makes his partner happy, but he does not have any interest in it himself. So going into that, there was a, there was a heck of a lot of, you know, when this character revealed to me that my outline was wrong, um, because about half the time I'm not actually writing these stories, I'm following the characters around and taking dictation, because they just go off and do stupid shit. (laughs) Hmm. Um, when he revealed to me, it's like no, he he's he's ace. So I'm like, Well, crap and everything went on hold. Well, I went off and did the research so like do this properly. Because it's important that if you're going to write someone or something that is outside your experience that you have that you have right. Um yeah so I did a lot of research and I actually had beta read, you know, I, I went and looked for sensitivity readers and beta readers who could tell me if I actually did it right, if I actually portrayed this character right, if I had, I refer to it as the grace notes. Uh-huh. I, if I had the grace notes right, if I approached it right, if I approached it properly, um, so what instrument do you play that you referred to it as the grace notes? Uh, I play, pa- I play piano badly. <laughs> okay, but you play. But I was also, I, was, I, I also sang, an, uh, sang choral work for right. quite so a while.
0: You, yeah, because, okay, for those of you who don't do music at all, grace notes are these kind of little accents. And they're really important, because they, 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 sometimes they even define the tenor of the piece, but they're not the main thematic line. So it's the addition to. So if you're making sure that that you have the grace notes right, you're making sure that the character is going to sing on all levels, basically, and and really Mm -hmm. as as Ace, not as somebody who isn't Ace writing Ace.
1: Right. Right. Because I know I don't have the point of view to write all of the characters that live in my head. Right. But it's also important that I have a variety of characters and I have a diverse slate of characters that live in my head that come out. And when they come out, I have to get them right.
0: So for people who don't know what ACE is, it's asexuality. I just realized that some of the audience might have no idea what we were talking oh. about. <laughs> yeah, So that's asexuality. Um, that's funny. Cause I was talking with somebody about this, um, on an earlier show about, um, whether you write what you know, or, or, whether characters inhabit you and I know that you know for a lot of people characters are there they live there and, and a lot of my stuff that I write is what I know it's it comes it's born on on whatever my desire is at the moment whatever my fantasies are at the moment I it's inspired by the people around me some of the people
1: around me can find themselves in what I write Um, my husband always asks me when I hand him a new manuscript, it's the, how, how am I going to show up in this one? Right.
0: (laughs) Well, my last, I mean, the, the, what I've just put out is the first time I've ever put out erotica under my own name. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's the first time I've put out anything of great length, but it's an erotic memoir. So it's got my life story in it as well. It's got my erotic life and my erotic characters and they're, they're juxtaposed. And so people know who they are in this one. (laughs) But there were there were a couple of stories in there where the, the, the character is definitely not somebody I know. And, and and I didn't finish the story until I listened to the character in full, because they, mm-hmm. they live in your head and talk to you and follow you around and bitch and moan at you until you go and do your research and make sure.
1: I, I talk about the cast of thousands in my head.
0: Uh-huh. And see, to me, that's, it's so funny because I know that some people just don't understand that experience, but interestingly enough, the number of authors um, who have that experience who will talk about it and say, well, no, it, it, this, isn't, this isn't my imagination. These people truly live in my head, and I don't have any kind of a psychiatric disorder. <laughs> right? it, is, it's, it is a different way of walking in the world, I think.
1: I have actually had the experience of finishing a short story right before bed and then going to bed and having the three viewpoint characters in this short story yell at me all night because I screwed up the ending. (laughs) (laughs) Get up and And do it So then I got up the next morning, rewrote the ending so that way it satisfied them, sent it out. And I had a contract in my email that night. It was the fastest turnaround ever on a short story. Um, Which one was that? To Market, it was To Market. It was in a circlet um, fairy tale anthology. And it was my erotic retelling of uh, Christina Rossetti's uh, Goblin Market. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which doesn't need, didn't need much help to be, you know, erotic, you know, to, to be erotic, but I had a lot of fun with that because they're like, well, we want fairy tales that nobody's told before. Okay, so I played with the goblin market and apparently I, the editor actually had to go look it up. Well, that's read it because,
0: well, because usually the fairy tales that are told and retold erotically, you know, we got Cinderella in about seven Oh, they're all the Grimm's
1: fairy tales, the fairy tales, tales and the Baudelaire and, and, and the, you, you know, know, things like that. It's not um, so pulling, you know, pulling from my favorite Pre-Raphaelites, <laughs> that, would, that was a lot of fun because um, I am, by training, a high school English teacher.
0: <laughs> oh my, great, that's wonderful. Well, that so is- I,
1: it's like, okay, an erotic retelling of a fairy tale nobody's told before. Yeah, I could have fun with that. <laughs>
0: Well, the high school English must set you up for writing erotica. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: have to deal with all their hormones all the time. I, um, I was only in the high school classroom for about a year. I, I, I was in an AP English class in Harlem. Uh, wow. And uh, best kids ever. They were wonderful, wonderful kids. Uh, I was, I was student teaching, and the teacher who I was with was um, a piece of work, but the kids were great. Hmm. (laughs) But at the point when I graduated from college with my teaching degree, New York was laying off more teachers than they were hiring, so I never actually taught high school professionally. Um, I taught out of license, you know, for a while, because, you know, with private schools, you didn't have to have a teaching license, so I taught... Kindergarten. I taught first grade. I taught fourth grade. I got tired of the politics in the school system and said, "The hell with this," and left. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I hear that.
1: Yeah. No, I actually
0: got my first degree was in special education, and um, I got a Massachusetts uh, special education K through uh, K through twelve lifetime teaching license. Oh wow. Yeah, well, 1984, right? And then went on to graduate school and did uh, psychology, and um, I've been a psychologist and now also a sex and intimacy coach for a million years. But what I originally went to school for, before I ended up changing over to education, um, pre-trauma, was uh, broadcast journalism. Oh, cool. So that's what I like to do. I like to write. I like to be in front of a camera. I like to be behind a radio. I like to tell stories. That was my thing. I like to act. And so these are all the things I like to do. And then everything got derailed. And um, now I'm back to that. I feel like this is kind of a whole returning to that beginning. And I'm doing as much of this kind of stuff as I can
1: because I find Mm.
0: it so fascinating and so much fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I enjoy writing because it gives me the flexibility. I homeschooled my son for three years as a full time writer because I could write around his schedule and I could write while he was in classes that I wasn't teaching him. And it let me be the stay at home mom while also being the writer because I could, I called it juggling chainsaws. I was the mom, I was the writer, I was the teacher, and everything worked. Uh, so being the writer, let me also be a better mom, I think, because I didn't, wasn't working outside the house, and I was be able to be here for my son, uh, who is going into high school, and I'm trying to figure out how the hell that happened. <laughs>
0: Mine turns 18 on the 22nd of June, and I can't figure out how that happened either.
1: <laughs> like, what? I turned around, and there he- yeah, I blinked, and now he's tall as me. It's like, how did that happen? Oh, well, if <sighs> you wait. Mine
0: pats me on the head. <laughs> he's six feet tall. I'm feeling mine will
1: do that in a few years.
0: I, I, I don't know what happened. I, you know, first he got to reach just about my height, and that was bad enough, and all of a sudden he's six feet tall, and he pats me on the head. <laughs> there it is. Apparently, it goes this way fairly regularly. Time moves really quickly when you're not expecting it.
1: Yeah, and I know, I keep telling him I'm going to give him an anvil hat, but that never works.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I I think that is one of the advantages to writing. Although writing is quite a difficult career. It's quite a difficult career in order to make even a living wage on. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a very uh, understanding husband with a very good job with benefits. Otherwise, I would not be able to do this, you know, full time. But. yeah, you know, I've I've started doing a little you know, dabbling more into the self publishing aspect. I do and so now I'm hybrid. And the way things are tracking with the self publishing, it's there's going to start being more of an income that way. Well, yeah. So yeah. it's like I'm enjoying I enjoy the traditional publishing and I love working with Circlet. But the self publishing I make more. So
0: I do both. Yeah. So I do um, I do a very small exclusive mastermind with a group of folk on writing your book and getting it published um, because my nonfiction was with mainstream publisher um, and um, my erotic memoir I did myself um, and I've done a, another self published one that was under a pseudonym that I did with Lulu so I've, I've had the experience of um, being with a mainstream publisher publisher twice actually I did one other one where um, that didn't even come out fully because they Oof. couldn't find a co publisher. So they gave us advances. We wrote the whole book, they did the whole mock-up and then it was a very limited release and that was that. Um, and so it's, a, it's about figuring out what's gonna work best for you. And of course, I've talked to lots of authors about this and the advantage of going with a publishing house, of course, is they have the ability, if they wish to, to promote you in a way that you can't promote yourself. And that's why people um, do that now. Traditionally, people did it because self-publishing was looked down upon. Now it's not, right. you, know, it, yeah. you know, now it's okay if you, if you publish yourself in the past. It was like, oh, nobody would want you. That's why you're publishing yourself. But we look at it differently now. And, and certainly people earn more money when they publish themselves, if they can promote their own stuff, because we get, you know, we get everything with the exception of the uh, printing costs. And even when we go through someplace like Amazon, Um, where you have to discount your book so that they, you know, because they need a margin. You spend Mm -hmm. more more than you would um, when you get royalties uh, via a mainstream publishing house. Right. Um, Which, you know, in some ways is kind of sad these days that, um, that more people can't do this. There are so many good authors out there who I'd love to see do this full time, but who just don't have the means to be able to do that.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, I, you know, there, but for the grace of, you know, for the grace of God, I go.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and it's, it, there's something about the way that people value or don't value now books.
1: hmm, mm hmm. I, that so many people who have opinions about publishing don't actually read, and they say it proudly, like, you know, This is a mark of honor. Well, I don't read books. I Uh, know.
0: I have problems with that. (laughs) It's so do I. I mean, it's it's so funny. I mean, for me, it's one of the prerequisites. Um, It's been a prerequisite for partners for a million Mm -hmm. years for me. Um, If you don't ever pick up a book. If you never lived in a world of a book, I don't even know what to say to you. And I remember going on a blind date in 1998. Um, I uh, separated from my first husband and, and moved out and I was fine on my own. And somebody set me up on a blind date with this guy. And I had this this um, lounge, this house and the living room it was wall-to-wall books. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I have lots of books. There it is, right? I read voraciously and I used to... Uh, Oh, I used to get everything in paper. Now I don't, but I still get lots of things in paper because there's oh yeah about holding the book rather than reading it on the, on
1: mm-hmm. a, on an, I find I retain better if I read it on paper. I have my ebooks and I have my paper books and occasionally I have the same, the same book. Yep. But yep, if yep. I read it in paper, I tend to retain it more. And I don't know if that's just a quirk of my, how my brain works or what, but um, I enjoy Electra I, I enjoy ebooks, I enjoy audiobooks, I don't remember them, and that frustrates me because I have so many. <laughs> yeah, no, so for me, the papers
0: is, as is, is well, so I, uh, this guy came over for this blind date, and he comes into my living room, and he looks at the wall, and he said, have you read all those books, and I said, thank you very much for coming, because <laughs> <laughs> seriously, if you're going to ask me,
1: of course I've read all those books, no, I've put them up for decoration, right? Some people do, and that's like, really, okay? Yes, now, the reason when when, when when my husband and I moved to Florida, I was five months pregnant, uh, and we had three days to find a house. We looked at 27 houses in one day. I kept falling asleep in the realtor's car, <laughs> but we finally picked the house that we're in, the house that we've been in for 14 years, because it was the only house that had enough wall space for our books because it had a 15 by 20 bonus room over the garage that when we had the house inspected and we told the house inspector we were going to put a library in this room he's like and you're going to have to put reinforcements in the garage under the floor (laughs) This because you're going to put books in here this floor needs to be supported so yeah we wound up going from a three-car garage to a two-car garage with a workshop because we had to put a wall down the of our garage uh, in order to support the weight of our books. And it is both, both 20-foot walls are floor-to-ceiling books. We had bookcases bu- built, built in, uh, and that's not all of the books. There's uh, in my office here behind me out of, out of frame, there's in downstairs, there's in my son's room, there's on the, yeah, there's books all over this house.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that was one of the things about when I downsized about leaving that house that, that crushed me. We actually built a library in one of the rooms. We had somebody come in and do actual stacks, wood floor to ceiling stacks. Um, That's and, what we've got, yes. And I was so sad to leave that room. And, and the people who were buying the house, I knew didn't want them. And I was going to rip the stacks out, but I had nowhere to put them. I was like I could rip them out and and do what with them because I I had so much less space where I was going so I said at some point again I will I will have a space where I can do that again because that just gutted me um is that so much about who we are mm-hmm. so just, thank you so much for joining me and for doing this this has been so much fun well um, thank and- you for having me <laughs> oh my pleasure you guys you have all the links so you can follow Elizabeth and you can, cause I'm putting all the links in podcast notes, they will go up and you can also find out what's coming out when and keep track mm-hmm. or you can read some more um, and hear some more of her amazing work. Thanks again. Thank you. And I'll see y'all next week. Thanks for joining me on this erotic adventure. Join me again next week for more exciting erotica. Visit my websites, DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and press for more information about what I'm doing and what services are available. Check out my weekly internet radio show, The A to Z of Sex, on the Health and Wellness Channel, VoiceAmerica.com, Thursdays at 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. EST, 7 p.m. BST, and that's a live show. If you've got suggestions for this show or authors you'd like to hear, email me at lori.beth at drlauribethbisbee.press. Have a great week.